it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 7669. Uh, usually I'm coming at, at you from 48th and 6th, but today I'm in Detroit. Got to do a big Fox Nation shoot, but I want to make sure to be able to do the show today. A lot to discuss, and I'm able to get all over it without being stuck on TV for three hours. Have a real chance to find out what's going on, flipping around. So we have a lot to discuss. This hour, Ian Bremmer, one of the deepest thinkers, most connected people on the international uh, stage, is going to be with us. He's got a brand new book out called The Power of Crisis, How Three Threats, uh, how, how three threats and Our Response will change the world. I should say it's not out yet. It's out next month. Uh, but Ian Bremmer is uh, going to weigh in on what's going on with the war. Now, listen, it's on the big three today, but it's very much on uh, my mind. The Battle of Donbass is about a couple of days old. And the uh, battle to get Mariupol, these miraculous Ukrainian fighters are not giving up. But they're saying this could be their last day. Uh, they're actually living in the caves of a steel mill that were created prior to World War II. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Just because this ruling was made by a judge doesn't mean that suddenly the science has changed. Masks remain very protective. And this was basically Donald Trump as a federal judge today. And the vast majority of scientific evidence is masks have saved millions of lives. Who is in charge? Hours after saying it's up to Americans to decide if they want to wear masks, President Biden says the CDC will decide if I should sue to get masks back on planes. Are you nuts? Number two. I'm going to get emotional about this issue because I just, it's horrible. But uh, it's like kids who are bullied. And you look at some of these laws in these states and it is going after parents who are in loving relationships who have kids. It's completely outrageous. Are you kidding? She's crying? She is crying? Really, Jen Psaki? You're weeping through not of teaching children because you're not allowed to teach children in Florida before their third, uh, before they get to the fourth grade about sexual preferences, K through three? That's why you're crying? No joke. His Governor DeSantis continued to enrage the left by siding with the parents and logic while also taking on woke Disney in Orlando, taking on their sovereignty status. No joke. Number one. Today we are announcing the American Governor's Border Strike Force. This is a majority of America's governors stepping up to do what the Biden administration refuses to do. We can't get Joe Biden to the border. Borders are Kamala Harris will not come to the border. Immense pressure has been as Biden rethinking eliminating Title 42 as the border is about to break and 26 governors form a union to try and block this White House dereliction of duty. So you know what Title 42 is, essentially? Title 42 allows, uh, for medical reasons, something that's been on the books for a while, 
to uh, turn people around when they come to the border and plead for asylum. Now, the fact is, we should not think that this administration's been turning people around. They haven't. In fact, some people told me, and um, Bill Malusian reported over the weekend, that they're invoking Title VIII, which sa- essentially says when you come here, ICE is told to transport you anywhere you want in the country with a cell phone. So that's hardly throwing somebody back across the Rio Grande. But it's come one, come all. In this country, led under Joe Biden, he has totally left the border wide open. And Title 42, going away, they'll have no sense of using the legal status of a pandemic to turn people around and say you can't come in or to remain in Mexico. The remain in Mexico policy is in place. They are not pressing it. Why aren't Republicans suing about that? A judge-ruled remain in Mexico should be upheld, and they're not paying attention to it. So you have Senator Kelly, you have um, you have Senator Peters, you have Senator, uh, you have Senator, uh, let me see, who else is on that? Senator Cinema. They're all saying uh, we can't go along with this. We're going to lose our election, Senator Hassan, if we allow this border to be uh, this border to be flooded. So they are pushing the White House to keep Title 42 in place because right now caravans are forming in Guatemala and Honduras. They're ready to come here. And that hellhole, which is Venezuela, uh, all these people are coming our direction. And they've caught up to 40 people, up to 40. It's got to be more that are on the terror watch list coming through our border. That's That's the frustration with Governor Greg Abbott, who's taking them and putting them on buses on their own. They have to decide to go and dumping them in Washington, D.C. They've sent a bunch of buses up there already. Cut three. We will continue the busing process uh, every single day uh, for the reason that I think you mentioned earlier on, uh, and that is uh, the Biden administration has been dumping off these uh, migrants by the hundreds in local communities that do not have the ability uh, to uh, take care or or deal with uh, these migrants that are being dropped off, and uh, as opposed to them uh, being there uh, in these small communities uh, or the small communities having to spend money dealing with it, uh, we decided to bus them to Washington, D.C. If Biden will not come to uh, the border... We're sending the border to Biden and his administration so they can be uh, begin to grapple with the challenges that we're dealing with. But also, uh, we will be looking for other locations like uh, Delaware, Biden's home state, to make sure that uh, people in Delaware are going to see what the people in Texas are having to grapple with. Okay, a couple of things. The buses are only half full, if that. It's costing a lot of money. But I understand his frustration. He's also slowed things down at the border to get the Mexican mayors to act to stop with the illegal drugs. And trafficking that's coming across the border because the federal government is not doing their job. I've never seen anything like it. You're watching an administration just ignore the southern border there. And meanwhile, the Border Patrol, who are not zillionaires by by occupation, are working overtime. A lot of them are flat out quitting. A lot of them were told to quit because they didn't want to get vaccinated, believe it or not. So now 26 governors have launched uh, the American Governor's Border Strike Force to secure the southeast border. I mean, it includes the governor of uh, Iowa, Alaska, uh, Maryland, uh, Missouri, uh, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Ohio, North Dakota, Christy Nome, of course, in San Diego, uh, Nebraska, uh, Abbott, of course, and Doug, and Doug Ducey. They put together a coalition to hopefully get something, get a strike force together to do what the federal government won't. And their goal is to disrupt and dismantle transnational criminal organizations by increasing collaboration, improving intelligence, investing in analysis, and combating human smuggling. Here's Doug Ducey. Could you believe this? It's pathetic. Cut two. 
So governors are stepping up, working with law enforcement, our fusion centers, and intelligence that we have at the state level to go after these drug cartels to stop this dangerous poison of fentanyl from streaming over our border. The number one leading cause of death for youths in southern Arizona is fentanyl. That is on the Biden administration, and they need to act. Governors are stepping up to do what they refuse to do. And it's coming from China, too. Uh, House House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy will lead a congressional delegation to Eagle Pass. Uh, That'll be next week on Monday uh, to meet with Border Patrol and bring the cameras because I don't care if you're a Democrat. This is not good for the country. I mean, you got people, you got parents exercise part of the political process because of what they were doing in schools with CRT in 1619 and now with this this, uh, gender fluidity. And now you got everybody exercised because they see an invasion happening and it's only going to get worse. And Joe Biden's got 33 percent approval rating and told Barack Obama he wants to run again. This is total incompetence. Of course, he shouldn't run again. So I want to bring up what's happened with the masks. So a judge ruled, not a Donald Trump judge, a judge ruled, uh, you've overstepped your authority, federal government, by continuing to extend a, a demand that we wear masks in transportation hubs like airports and train stations and buses. They looked at this. They saw the extension. said, it's not going to happen. You're done. Don't wear masks. So on Monday, everybody took them off. A lot of people are upset by that. I am not. I flew, went to LaGuardia, no mask, none on, none on my person, and went right through. Didn't even think about wearing it. Loved it. Okay. Then I find out people are upset, blaming the Trump. Everyone's going to blame Trump, right? Blaming a Trump-appointed judge who went on sound authority to say you've overstepped your authority, federal government. And now Joe Biden was asked about the mask, knowing that people are tired of the restrictions, the lockdowns, the guarantee to so-called have cookouts, only to find out that our vaccine was not effective against these variants. So here is... Joe Biden originally answering the question. Cut 13. Mr. President, should people continue to wear masks on planes? That's up to them. Are you going to like to appeal the ruling uh, or the ruling that the judge made striking down the mandate? I haven't spoken to the CDC yet. Why? Number two, caught by surprise again. I don't know who's briefing him on what. By the end of the day, it looks as though the CDC will decide whether the Justice Department will sue on their behalf. Cut 14. Your administration going to appeal the mask mandate ruling? I've not gotten any brief from my, the CDC. I don't know. When Yeah, and then the, the meltdown happens. If you do not feel secure, wear a mask. I don't care. I'm not going to wear one. All right? Almost everyone I know is not going to wear one. Chuck Todd sees nothing but politics in this and thinks it's a loss, believe it or not, for Joe Biden. Cut 17. Folks, it's one thing for a Trump judge to strike down an order from the Biden White House, but it's an entirely different thing for the White House to let it happen without any legal pushback. And it's not the first time recently that something hasn't gone the White House's way. They don't fight back. They don't defend their rationale. They just give you the the emoji shrug. Okay. Because it's stupid. The CDC has no credibility. We've given up trusting them with anything. And then you have people like Jen Psaki go, well, I would just keep doing what, what I told you to do. Because, I don't know, I'm a weepy mom. Cut 15. The CDC continues to uh, advise and recommend masks on airplanes. 
We're abiding by the CDC recommendations. The president is, and we would advise all Americans to do that. This was a ruling by the court. We obviously didn't have advance notice of it, uh, and it typically takes uh, a couple of days to assess next steps in these cases. All right, next steps is keep it off. That's it, just like everything else. And the minute you're taking off your mask to eat, and you understand when you sit, you could take it off at, uh, in restaurants. We knew it was ridiculous. We know the paper mask studies. We've heard the doctors. We've seen the subvariants. We made our own opinion. These people just do not want to let go and let us get on with our lives. And other people like Chuck Todd, Chuck Todd, see nothing but Donald Trump in everything. And uh, when we come back, I'll let you hear what the media has to say. I also want to hear what you have to say. one 408 7669 As we try to find out again. By the way, Governor DeSantis, this is win after win for him. Takes on Disney's woke status by taking on their sovereign status. Number two, taking on the battle for parents against transgender talk in the classroom. Of course, if I told you this a year ago, you'd say, you'd say of course I don't want my kindergartner finding out that they don't have to be a boy or girl. They'll make that decision in first grade or now. And maybe a seventh grader gets some hormone blockers. This is insane. So I'll be, before we go, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat, in case you think it's pure politics, if you like Trump, get the mask off. If you don't like Trump, put it on. Dr. Neshwat, who's treated probably more COVID patients than anybody else in New York City. Cut 18. I hope that the CDC, our White House, and the Department of Justice come to the understanding and the realization that we have achieved our goal. We have accomplished our mission. And if we recall from day one, that goal is to ensure that our hospitals are not overwhelmed, that our hospital system does not collapse, that we don't have a shortage of doctors and nurses and staffing in beds. Right now, I had about 60 patients today. I had only two patients that tested positive. I had the tools to treat them. Got it? one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Terrorists don't want to be arrested. So for them to be arrested, it says that they weren't very smart crossing the border. However, 700,000 gotaways since Joe Biden became president. 700,000 people entered this country illegally and were not arrested. How many of them are in the screening database? And just last month, 67,000 gotaways. And these aren't Tom Holman numbers. These are based on camera traffic, drone traffic, and, and sensor traffic that Borbitro records but can't respond to. Uh, that is Tom Holman. He's outraged, especially because he knows Mayorkas was his deputy and knows how to secure the border or at least try and knows they're not. Uh, that was Tom Holman. Let's go to the phones, one 408 7669 Listening on the Fox News Radio app. Which, if you get the Fox News app, just click on the headsets and you'll get the radio show. Uh, hey, Mary, you're in Nebraska. Hey. Hey. Um, I got, uh, I think, a simple solution for down at our borders. Let's hear it. Our National Guard. They're there. All of these states, the, all these states that are in the um, the coalition. In coalition. 
Why don't they? Because the governors are the ones that are in charge of the National Guard, not the president. Um, you know, we always loan out our National Guard to go overseas and, and support our active army, but our National Guard knows how to, at least in Missouri, because that's where I serve, we know how to protect our borders. And you'd go. We know how to you're, you're from, you were in Missouri? Yes, I was in the um, um, Aurora, excuse me, not the Aurora, Monet, 203rd. I was a carpenter, masoner, and by golly, I, even though I'm no longer in because I was medically discharged, I pick up a rifle and protect our border because just because I raised my hand, I didn't have it until this day. I will protect this country from uh, terrorists. All right. So, but I, but I will say this. The National Guard in Texas are complaining, and I don't blame them. Because they've been there forever. They're sitting in the middle of nowhere. They don't have full authority like the Border Patrol does. And they want to get back to their families. And they've been doing this for weeks on end. And that's causing a lot of people to get mad at the Texas governor. So maybe we have to give them a short period of time. Maybe we do it for the next 45 days. And we see if we get all these 26 states that have formed this coalition to share intelligence, information, and resources to flood the area, put put on camouflage. And and stop the flood in Arizona, especially because uh, California evidently doesn't care. Uh, New Mexico are uh, somewhat helpless. But the big story is most of the terrorists uh, that were coming through that we found of Ford, about 40, were coming through the Texas area. So we'll see if the National Guard uh, will do anything. Uh, the mayor of McAllen weighed in on this crisis. Uh, that is number four. His name is Javier Villabos. No, especially with the advance notice of uh, about pretty much a month and a half, we know what's going on over there and we know what's going to happen. The last time Hidalgo County here in McAllen was, we were pretty much at the center of it and we know what we're expecting. And of course, that's why I wrote a letter to the president asking them, look, we need the funding, we need help. It's not our responsibility, but we'll do what we need to do. And so we're ready to do what we can, even though it's not our responsibility. Yeah, and you got to see, I mean, the National Guard are just quitting. They're not getting a ton of money. When you take out the taxes and realize the sacrifice, they're all getting burnt out, and they're not allowed to do their job. For the most part, you grab one family, you process that family, it moves you from the scene. If it's an unaccompanied minor, and there are tens of thousands, you're handling that kid's immediate needs, almost like you're a nanny or a, or a babysitter, which that's not really why you hire Border Patrol people. You know, think about a state cop. Do you really want to say, okay, take care of these children, or do you want to make you take care of the roads uh, and uh, and us out on the uh, and make sure we're safe on the streets? So one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, we talk about the war. Uh, it's a very pivotal time. Uh, the second and final phase of this war. Talk that Vladimir Putin is totally detached from reality. That he made a terrible mistake going in. But you know who's paying the price? Everybody that lived in the Ukraine, the five million that were displaced, the thousands that have died, and the cities that have to be rebuilt. When we come back, Ian Bremmer joins us, and then we'll finish up with your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show on the road. So glad you're here. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is our statement to the world. It may be our last statement. We might have only a few days or even hours left. The enemy's units are 10 times larger than ours. They have supremacy in the air, artillery, and units that are dislocated on the ground, equipment, and tanks. We appeal to the world leaders to help us. And that is uh, the last statement. One of the fighters uh, in the, which seems, seems to be the, the underground tunnels of a steel plant that date back to the 1940s as the Ukrainians are trying to hold on to the Mariupol. But no help is on the way. So it's a, a desperate cry for help or a passage out. The humanitarian uh, corridors are laughable because it's the best way to die. No one believes them anymore. And Mariupol will allow the Russians to consolidate forces and really try to take all of the Donbass area. None of what I just said is news to my next guest. He's one of those respected and connected international uh, thought leaders in this country. He is Ian Bremmer, president of the Eurasia Group and author of the upcoming book, The Power of Crisis, How Three Threats and Our Response Will Change the World. Ian, welcome back. Brian, good to talk to you. First off, um, this is... There's, there's a theory that this second phase is the final phase, that the Russians are putting everything into it. Eighty five percent of their fighting forces consolidated 20,000 foreign fighters all together to take at least the Donbass region and crush Ukraine. Is that a correct assessment? Um, I think it is true that if the Russians are able to, quote unquote, succeed in the second phase, they will announce a victory and there will be a possibility for at least freezing the conflict there for a period of time. Um, I wouldn't consider the ongoing relationship between Russia and Ukraine to be in any way resolved at that point, not for the Ukrainians, certainly, uh, but not for the Russians either. And I also think the relationship between Russia and NATO is going to be one of profound confrontation. This is unfortunately the beginning of a new Cold War. It's not um, a, a short conflict, and then we go back to life as normal. True. Uh, but with, with one thing is abundantly clear, despite what happens next in Ukraine, is that the, the Russian army has suffered uh, tremendous reputation loss, and it's well-earned, yes. correct? No, no question. I mean, the, the Russians did not expect that the Ukrainians were going to fight. I want to be clear. Uh, we saw about 190,000 Russians on the borders, on the Russian border with Ukraine and the Belarus border with Ukraine before February 24th, before the invasion started. Um, that, that means that they had about 0.8 troops to every Ukrainian, one troop on the ground. Uh, you would never launch an offensive war with that kind of ratio. You'd expect three to one in the favor of offense. If you thought you were going to win, unless Putin and his military believed the Ukrainians weren't going to fight, that they were just going to welcome the Russians in the way that Russians and Ukrainians, by the way, back in Crimea in 2014, didn't fight at all. That was an enormous misjudgment. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised, honestly, that they were so incredibly overconfident, and therefore their their forces had to fight, and their forces were the morale was bad. They the plan was was made up on the fly, um, and frankly, they didn't expect the Ukrainians to have the kind of material that's been provided to them by the United States and by all of NATO. And the better the Ukrainians did, 
the better they performed on the ground, the more support they got. So this this has been snowballing to be probably the biggest geopolitical disaster um, of a decision made by any major world leader since the collapse of the Soviet Union. Yeah, I don't think you're overstating it either. And and Russia right now is, is doing the full-scale offensive to try to save this operation. Story in Bloomberg today that even though Vladimir Putin's power is not in jeopardy, there's a fear uh, among the Russians that he does not fully understand how bad it's going and that he keeps doubling, tripling down. I mean, if they lost, the the conservative estimate is they lost about 20,000, and they, they let alone countless others that have just left their country. Over 100,000 people have just picked up and left Russia uh, uh, just to get out of there. And then you think about how many wounded. And now you look around and you say, the other thing, Ian, I think you left out of your description early, is the Russians were not coordinated. They didn't have a, 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 a game plan. Besides going up and asking for to surrender, uh, I'm wondering the communication between all their fronts wasn't effective. They had no one person in charge. There didn't seem to be any overall mission. And the, the troops were actually confused about what they were doing for the most part. And morale is still terrible. So their performance yeah, yeah. It was they, – they right. yeah, so that's unbelievable to me. You know, you know how Putin called this. He said this wasn't a war. He said this was a special military operation. Um, and you know, we all snicker about that and say, "Yeah, it's all propaganda." But the fact is that when this invasion started, Putin thought it was going to be a special military operation. He thought a few days minimum, and and maximum two weeks. And they were rolling into Kiev. Um, they were they were throwing uh, away Zelensky, and they were installing their own government. And they, there wasn't a plan B. There just wasn't a plan B. Otherwise, you never would have rolled into Ukraine with this few troops um, and and this limited an operation. Um, so that's that's why they are where they are. Now, again, beyond that, it turned out that the West really does care that we are united on this issue, that despite the problems in the withdrawal from Afghanistan, despite Merkel being gone – uh, despite you know the French having their own ideas for strategic autonomy in Europe, that everyone in NATO has banded together and said, we're going to hurt you. We're going to destroy your economy. Um, we're going to provide intelligence as to Russian forces, to the Ukrainians, and we're going to give them a hell of a lot of armed support. And you know, so short of a no-fly zone and troops on the ground, short of directly putting American and allied troops in harm's way, you're doing about everything imaginable to, to hurt the Russians here. And, and I think it's permanent. I, I think the Russian relationship with the United States and the advanced industrial economies is broken for good. I mean, certainly as long as Putin is in power. And he just – there's no way he thought that that was remotely possible when he decided to invade eight weeks ago. Which is unbelievable because he's got the intelligence background. You would think he would know how to – uh, to assess a battlefield or this, the, the public sentiment. The guy was in East Germany when the wall fell, and he always says, once a KGB agent, always. But now, talk about increasing um, increasing the firepower. It looks like Ukraine is receiving fighter aircraft related uh, from other nations, according to John Kirby. They've also going to deliver more sophisticated weapons um, a little bit later from Britain. They are giving $130 million worth of anti-tank missiles, air defense systems, as well as non-lethal weapons. Norway announced that it would donate 100 Mistral air defense missiles on top of the light armored weapons it promised last month. 
Dutch Prime Minister uh, has said Tuesday that his government is sending heavier military equipment further uh, afield. The Australian government has started sending the Bushmasters to Kiev after the Ukrainian president personally asked him for it. They got about 20 of them. They'll protect Ukrainian troops from explosives, artillery, shrapnel and small arms fire. So the, it's still coming in and they're going they're getting training on these howitzers that we're giving them. So they'll they know how to fight. They're willing to fight. And they also have this sense of we have to protect our homeland. They're almost half the country seems to have been wrecked already. The other thing to factor in, Ian, that you always have said that, that global sense, NATO has a new mission, and we don't have to convince them of it. They lived it. They're going to spend more money on the defense, and now they could be adding Sweden and Finland uh, with, uh, with applications coming in in June. That is a nightmare for Vladimir Putin. It, it could not be worse for Putin. In Ukraine, you now have a well-armed, extremely motivated nation that hates Russia. And by the way, before the 2014 invasion, the Ukrainians were one of the people in the world that were most well disposed to the Russians. Putin created his own problem in Ukraine. He has done more for the rise of Ukrainian nationalism than any other leader on the global stage. He also has done more to strengthen NATO. How many American presidents have been telling European allies they need to start spending on defense? They need to pay attention. We saw Bush do it. We saw Obama do it. We saw Trump do it. We saw Biden do it. They didn't pay any attention, but they paid attention to Putin. And because of Putin, because of Putin, you now have the Germans spending 2% of their GDP on defense. Because of Putin, you have forward deployments of NATO troops, including what will be permanent deployments in the Baltics and in Poland and in Bulgaria and in Romania, all along Russia's border. And as you said, now Finland and Sweden, it's not they may join They will join in the next coming months. They'll probably join at the Madrid summit coming up at the end of June, the NATO summit. That's my expectation. That's two additional countries, Finland with a, you know, almost a 1000 mile land border with Russia. So, I mean, literally everything that Russia was saying they were invading for has gotten worse because of their invasion. And Putin is very well aware of that. Yeah, I, I would I would love to get confirmation of that or have a sense of what's going on there, but it's really hard to read. But a couple of things are not going the West way. Number one, India is not playing uh, playing ball. They're continuing to deal uh, with Russia. They are not providing the Eastern, uh, the Soviet type of weapons that uh, that are easily adaptable for the Ukrainians. And number two, most of the Middle East is staying out of it. Correct. Um, most including of the Israel. World is st- most of the world is staying out of it. Israel's provided a lot of humanitarian support uh, for, um, for Ukraine, and they have condemned uh, the attack, though they were slow. Keep in mind that Israel sort of needs Russia uh, in terms of their own security in Syria, especially after the Americans withdrew. So Israel's in a difficult position. But most of the world is saying this is not their fight. The United States has the wealthy democracies with us. Um, Canada, Australia, Japan, and Europe. Um, But as soon as you go past that, you talk about poorer countries, whether they're democratic or authoritarian, their perspective is this is not our fight. I mean, why would India, they're part of the quad, and they're aligned well with us on issues like China, but India says when we desperately needed vaccines, you didn't send us any. 
Germany and Europe is still getting gas from Russia. Why, why wouldn't we get oil from Russia? Why wouldn't we get fertilizer from Russia? It's very hard to credibly answer that for a country like India, which is you know over one billion people and very poor. And I think most poorer and middle-income countries in the world are saying, you know, we we do not feel. Just, we may be democratic. We may support rule of law, but we do not feel like you guys treat us well, and we don't feel like we have we owe you anything uh, in terms of this fight between Russia and Ukraine. Interesting. Uh, the what do you think? How do you think China is interpreting this? China is um, a very strong friend of Russia, and that hasn't changed. Uh, February fourth, the beginning of the Olympics, and twenty days before the invasion. Uh, you had Putin travel to Beijing for the Olympics, and they signed this wide-ranging deal that was a friendship without limits on the global stage. Um, I do believe that China has a similar worldview as Russia. They they see that America's strategy in Asia with the Quad, with the Indo-Pacific uh, strategy, with AUKUS, the defense deal with the Australians um, and uh, and and the UK, um, with uh, with with all of these relationships, they the Chinese believe we are trying to contain them in their backyard, the same way that America and NATO have tried to contain Russia in their backyard over the last 30 years. So there's no trust. And the relationship between China and Russia is actually quite aligned. If you look at Chinese media, it is very much towing the same story as the Russians on the invasion of Ukraine, um, on European security. How do you think they're interpreting it? Do you think they're saying this was worth it? Man, what are we going to face if we do Taiwan? No, no, they, they definitely – I mean they weren't going to do Taiwan anytime soon anyway for reasons that you and I have talked about in the past we can get into again. Um, and this is certainly would give them further pause. They certainly are taking a lesson that, wow, if your military hasn't been fighting for 40 years, it might not perform well. Russia's hasn't. China hasn't either. They're thinking about that. Um, but the most important thing to pay attention to China – um, is the fact that they are not breaking U.S. sanctions. They are not sending military support to Russia. And the reason for that is because they're not stupid. They understand that the U.S. has the global reserve currency, has the most important banks, is still the largest economy in the world, and they don't want to hurt themselves, especially with their challenges dealing with zero COVID and their their lower uh, growth rates as a consequence this year, their higher debt uh, to GDP ratios, they do not want to fight with the Americans that they don't need. So they're not going to break our red lines on Russia, even though they're fully aligned with Russia in terms of what's happening in Ukraine. Interesting. Uh, I, I would say that a couple of things I would, I'd love to see happen. I would love for us to be able to fight in real time uh, more weapons so Ukrainians can really uh, stand up for themselves. It seems as though this is going to be a key two weeks and if the stuff isn't there in two weeks and they're able to consolidate the Donbass and call it a win, even though clear, clear thinking people with real access to intelligence wouldn't have interpreted that way, uh, we'd just be put, giving the Russians five more years to reconsolidate, uh, reconsolidate and, and strike again. That's, that's what I worry. I wish there was more urgency. And my biggest shock in the last 30 seconds, I did not know these new NATO nations had mostly Soviet-era weapons. I'm surprised NATO didn't have a way to universally arm people like, you know, make them pay for their patriots. Don't use S-300s because we can't replace them. We don't want you 
we don't want you attached to the to the Russia for these parts. It seems as though there's so many Eastern European style weapons out there. A lot of lack of spending. Last 30 years, they had a peace dividend, and they said we don't need to focus on or pay attention to uh, to our own national security and defense. And again, what we've learned in the last eight weeks is that is not going to be true going forward. Absolutely. Ian Bremer, thanks so much. Always great. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Your call's next. Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. That is a flight attendant letting everybody know how he felt or they felt about taking off the mask. The mask mandate was uh, was uh, was eradicated on Monday by a judge in Florida because it was a Florida judge. Florida is a place of freedom and angst for every blue state because they did things the right way. And their numbers, they're the top five best uh, holistically of handling the pandemic in the entire country. And once again, a Florida judge comes in and says, don't wear a mask. No reason to extend it. There's no science behind it. You're done. You finished it through. That's an overstep by the CDC, by the government. Now, those masks may be off just temporarily. And I was stunned by a poll that 52% of the country want the mask to stay on on airplanes. You probably don't fly much. And you certainly aren't a a flight attendant. And you certainly aren't a pilot. Everyone you talk there says it's ridiculous. The tension's through the roof. Nobody ever has it with them. You're going through the airport. You've got a million things to do. You've got to show your face. You've got to show your ID. And then you walk through with a mask that we've all know don't, doesn't work. People are happy about it enough. The president, president instinctively said, finally did something instinctively right. said, yeah, right now it's going to be up to your judgment. And now they're going to let the CDC decide if the Department of Justice should sue on their behalf. The same CDC that takes their marching orders from the teachers unions and all political uh, political heavyweights. Don't think so. Not a joke. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Normally coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're still heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in Ukraine. But I'm actually coming to you from Detroit today. I uh, got a big shoot for Fox Nation. Look at the history of the automobile, the Henry Ford Museum. It's going to be great. I'm going to get a chance to ride this Lightning, uh, this F-150 electric pickup. So it's going to be great. Uh, we'll be able to bring that back, put it on television. We'll talk about it on the radio uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Rich Lowry as well as uh, Ari Fleischer. Uh, Rich Lowry's got a great column. Ari Fleischer is, has a book coming out shortly, so we'll be discussing that with him. So before we go any further, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Just because this ruling was made by a judge doesn't mean that suddenly the science has changed. Masks remain very protective. And this was basically Donald Trump as a federal judge today. And the vast majority of scientific evidence is masks have saved millions of lives. Really? Who is in charge? Hours after Sagan's up to Americans decide if they want to wear masks. Now President Biden says, I might just sue to put masks back on. My goodness. 
Number two. I'm gonna get emotional about this issue because I just, it's horrible, but uh, it's like kids who are bullied and you look at some of these laws in these states and it is going after parents who are in loving relationships who have kids. It's completely outrageous. What's more outrageous? She's talking about a bill that stops tra- transgenderism talk from K to third grade. She's crying. Really, Jen Psaki? Weeping for not teaching children about sexual preferences from K through three? No joke. As Governor DeSantis continues to enrage the left by siding with parents and logic while also taking on woke Disney in Orlando and their sovereignty status. Number one. Today we are announcing the American Governor's Border Strike Force. This is a majority of America's governors stepping up to do what the Biden administration refuses to do. We can't get Joe Biden to the border. Borders are. Kamala Harris will not come to the border. It's true. And that's why immense pressure on President Biden who's now rethinking eliminating Title 42 as the border's about to break and 26 governors form literally a union to try and block this White House's dereliction of duty at the border. Joining us now, a guy that's seen it all. Uh, He is Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. So I'm not kidding. Rich, there are things in life that you inherit. You can't do anything about natural disasters. Sometimes brutal dictators arrive, you know, rise up on the landscape, and, and we here in America have to take them on. I get it. Things that we don't have control over a pandemic when you when a oppressive nation decides to unleash this virus on the world. I understand it. But this thing at the border is totally self-inflicted and only going to get worse. How do you explain the lack of interest in addressing and solving this problem from the White House? They're just they just have they're just committed. They're ideologically committed to reversing everything that Trump did at the border because they thought it was all immoral and was all on the same level as child separations, which it was not. You know, by by the end, he got a system that worked, that was very clever, that involved working with Mexico and Central American countries, not denying anyone legitimate asylum claims, you know, processing their asylum claims, just letting them stay in Mexico while we're doing it. And he tore it all up for no reason. We've seen um, March, um, the, the numbers uh, last three years and, and March has steadily gone up, and they're, they're going to go higher. And I think he's going to back off on Title 42. I, I think he's going to at least delay repealing it. You have bipartisan opposition to repealing it. I think it's ridiculous that we're relying on a CDC edict to at least um, maintain some semblance of order at the border. But that's what it is. That's where we are. And uh, I, I think he's going to back off. You, you know, and the thing is, too, you talk to Bill Malusian, people down at the border. He's not really enforcing the Title 42 anyway. So mm-hmm. it's that, you yeah. know, you should be sending or turning around 85 percent of the people that come across 85 percent. Uh, that is not the case. You see who's going on these buses. You see they're getting these cell phones so we can track them. So you believe this. And when they get a fresh set of clothes from these uh, these NGOs, from Catholic charities on down, they should be ashamed of themselves. And now we have 42 migrants on the terror watch list. This is a self-inflicted wound that's threatening to take the Senate away from him, from Hassan to Kelly to Cinema. Uh, to uh, Masto, uh, Cortez Masto in, in Nevada. I mean, that's what it's costing him, and it should. Yeah. <clears throat> so they haven't used Title 42 as robustly as Trump did. And if you just turn them around and put them back into Mexico, <clears throat> excuse me, they're just going to come right back. So you, you really need to get them back into the country of origins. They haven't been doing that. 
and remain in Mexico, even though it was theoretically reinstated by a judge. They're they're not really using it all. So they've um, you're obviously absolutely right. They created this crisis, and there's a potential it could get. Uh, orders of magnitude worse if they actually go through with repealing 40, Title 42. And just so you know, these governors, 26 governors, have put together their own strike force uh, to disrupt and dismantle transnational criminal organizations by increasing collaboration, improving intelligence. When you talk about a divided country, 26 red governors are uniting to try to control the border, which the federal government should be doing. Here's Doug Ducey of Arizona, cut two. So governors are stepping up, working with law enforcement, our fusion centers and intelligence that we have at the state level to go after these drug cartels to stop this dangerous poison of fentanyl from streaming over our border. The number one leading cause of death for youths in southern Arizona is fentanyl. That is on the Biden administration, and they need to act. Governors are stepping up to do what they refuse to do. So, I mean, this is unbelievable. I mean, we had a caller before that said, why don't all 26 governors put their National Guard on and cover our own border? And but this is pathetic. We're all you know, we're bystanders on this, which is the American people. We're pissed. We're paying state tax uh, for our National Guard. We're paying federal tax. And one of the things the federal government is supposed to do is watch our border. And you can't get anybody to even address it. I mean, think about this. The vice president was given that mantle. And she just refuses to do her job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's like, you I don't want to do this. <laughs> they have no interest in it. And, you know, I, I, my hat's off. The governor's trying to do something, but it's that's more a sign of desperation than anything else. This is core federal responsibility to defend our, our borders. And the federal government won't do right. it. There's just not many good alternatives. There isn't. And, and we'll discuss that, too. Guess what? Univision is airing segments on teaching migrants how to swim across the Rio Grande River. Do you believe this? I mean, this is you should immediately stop them from airing in the United States. You got to make them pay the price for this. Teaching people how to sneak into the country. Incredible. I want to fast forward to this. Uh, Jen Psaki should stop doing podcasts. She basically accepted a job to MSNBC and continues to be press secretary. Unbelievable. And now when asked on another podcast about what is happening with the parents' rights bill in Florida, let me remind you, it tells teachers and principals, K through third, you are not to talk about gender fluidity or, or sex to your kids from K through three. Listen to her reaction, Cut eight. I'm going to get emotional about this issue because it's just, it's horrible. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's like kids who are bullied and they, 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 like all these leaders are, are taking steps to hurt them and hurt their lives and hurt their families. And you look at some of these laws in these states and it is going after parents who are in loving relationships who have kids. It's completely outrageous. <clears throat> Sorry. I, I'm just, this is an issue that makes me completely crazy, but it is an issue that is a political wedge issue. It is not a reflection of where the country is. <laughs> yes, it is. Over 50 percent. She's crying. Over 50 percent of Floridians oh are for the parent right bill. What is she? What's wrong with her? That might be the most – I mean, there are a lot of contenders. That might be the most ridiculous thing I've heard the last year and a half. Literally hysterical. She has no idea what's in, in the bill, first of all. I mean, they're still ignorant on it. This has nothing to do with bullying. No one wants any children to be bullied. It has nothing to do with targeting parents. It's just let's not talk about uh, to kids that young um, inappropriate materials. They don't need to know about you know non-binary people or pansexuals, you know, the, the way the, the Disney executive was talking 
talking about. They just don't. They just need to do it. But just teach them how to read. Teach them how to write. Teach them how to do uh, math. That's what the vast majority of parents want. That's what this this bill underlines. And the other side is just crazy on it. And th- this is another huge reason they're going to get shellacked. Just the the cultural radicalism of the left that seeped into the mainstream of the Democratic Party. You know, Joe Biden's supposed to be a moderate. She's supposed to be the White House press secretary of a moderate. And here she is weeping over a bill saying, don't put sexually inappropriate materials in front of kids K through three. It's insane. It, it, it is nuts. And it just goes to show you these are self-inflicted wounds. The American people are not focused on transsexuals. We don't want women's sports destroyed, but they're throwing this down our throat. We shouldn't be talking about men and women. We have Supreme Court justices who will not define what a man and woman is. When I'm talking about man and woman marriage, who the who with the gender is mm-hmm. the I mean, Rich, the amount of self-inflicted wounds. I just you can't stop listing them. And that is yeah, why I mean, Joe Biden with a compliant press has between a 33 and 36 percent approval rating. That's why uh, um, adults dressed as bunny rabbits are stopping him from answering questions <laughs> about Pakistan. Yeah, they, they do themselves a, a huge, huge amount of good. If they just said, you know what, critical race theory, I might agree with it or disagree with it. It shouldn't be taught in our public schools. It's too controversial. K through uh, kids age K three, K through three. No, sexual content. I don't support that. I'm not crazy, you know, but they can't. They can't bring themselves to, to, to say that stuff. They, they have this orthodoxy that they've enforced upon themselves that's totally out of touch with the American public, freaks a lot of people out, and is deeply disturbing, and they're going to pay a price for it. I, I think so. Uh, you wrote a column about uh, Elon Musk. I don't think you can overstate the impact he could make on social media because since 2016, when the President Trump, uh, President, then candidate Trump, used social media to propel himself, I believe, to the White House, Facebook specifically, the social media uh, network, uh, all of them, even though they're, they're competitors, they bound together to make sure Republicans, conservatives, and Trump specifically no longer soars by the power vested in them. Musk could stop this trend, couldn't he? Yeah, it, it could be a really important, certainly an important symbolic blow in favor of free speech, and then uh, a really a meaningful one as as well. And it would be a sign if he can actually take over Twitter, if he actually faces down these woke millennial employees to uh, other companies. You know, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be scared of a Twitter mob. You don't have to be scared of the, these kids near your company who you know post on Slack or whatever that they, that they think you're a terrible oppressor. And you can you can govern these companies in a rational way. Now it remains to be seen you know, whether they actually succeed in, in buying it. They're obviously dead set on stopping them, and we'll see how committed he is. You know, he, he said he had a plan B last week. He's going to need a plan B and probably a plan C if this is going to happen. Right. And why do you think they are so upset about this? It is not as if you know Peter Thiel, who is a conservative, uh, and would you know, or <laughs> Donald Trump, who is a conservative. Is buying this. You know, well, they, this they is want, somebody that is tough to figure out where Musk stands. He's yeah, dealing exactly. with China when it comes to Tesla. We know that he gets government money to help propel a tremendous SpaceX program. So it's he, I think he's he's hard to nail down. I think he's pro free speech. I don't know if he's right or left. Yeah, he, he reminds me a lot of Joe Rogan. 
But because of this this weird cultural radicalism on on the left, if you're just hard to pin down and no one quite knows where you are and you're willing to convention to question conventional wisdom and the progressive pieties, you're you're effectively right wing for them. And that's the way they look at Elon Musk. And they like Twitter being their playpen. They like being able to dictate the rules to Twitter, which are, you know, always changing, but always go along with progressive opinion and use Twitter as a, a means of uh, social control and punishing and pushing corporations in the direction they want. And they just fear any loosening of, of that power they have uh, over Twitter. And that's, that's why Musk now is uh, almost public enemy number one for them. This, uh, finally, there's a report today and over the last two days that Barack Obama was told by Joe Biden that he wants to run for another four years and he's going out on this fundraising tour, I think, beginning this week. Tell me if he, do you believe this is true? Do you believe that Biden really does want to run again? Does he, do you think that that's good news for the Democratic Party? I think, you know, he wants to run again. I, I don't think he's going to be able to run again. I, I just, it's just impossible to see. I mean, this is going to be a, a long three years still to go, you know, and this is an office we've talked about before. It, it ages people, you know, every single day, even, you know, vigorous guys in their, their 40s. So it's just impossible to see. I think the, the state of the Democrat, potential Democratic, non-Biden Democratic field is so weak that they, they're desperate for Biden to run again, especially given that the the front runner would probably be Kamala Harris, you know, who's in a weaker position than Joe Biden and just a horrible politician. So I, I think there's an incentive for Biden to say he's going to do this. He wants he actually wants to do it in his heart, I'm sure. And there's an incentive for Democrats to pretend that he's, it's actually going to happen. But I just can't see it. To me, Donald Trump is much more likely to be on the on a presidential ticket in 2024 than Joe Biden is. Rich Lowry, thanks so much. National Review, appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. Uh, you got it. one 408 I'll come back and take your calls. Bottom of the hour, uh, we uh, also welcome a great guest, Ari Fleischer, talk about communicating uh, with this White House. They think they got great policies, just bad communication skills. How does Ari feel about that? I hear from you next. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Russian leadership will guarantee safe evacuation of each and every civilian, as well as the safety of the humanitarian convoys movement in any direction they choose. Unbelievable. Uh, That is uh, Russia saying, let's end this Mariupol standoff and these courageous Ukrainians refusing to get out. They also know that that Mariupol is a key city that must stand and the Russians must have. Lewis, you're listening in Pennsylvania. Hey, Lewis. Hey, Brian. Great show as always. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate your guests. Uh, you got some great guests on there also. Uh, I think... Uh, I think we have satellites over the battlefield area in Ukraine right now, and I'm sure they could read uh, license plate information from outer space, as they say. Uh, I think that information should be produced uh, and uh, shown to the world, the free world, of course. And uh, any Russian speakers, like in Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, Poland, Serbia, Czechoslovakia, use social media against the 
Putin regime, shortwave stations, radio stations, show these uh, show these satellite inv- uh, in- uh, right, show the information and try to win over the world. I think the world has been horrified by this. I'm not sure how much gets into Russia, but believe it or not, Lewis, his uh, approval ratings is strong because he has effectively told his nation they had no choice but to attack. So they are buying it. As astounding as that is, I've talked to so many experts, believe it or not, as crazy as that is for us, they are buying that they had no choice but to enter this military operation which they now are allowing their anchors to call a war. At first, you'd be suspended if you said that. But uh, they have to let the Ukrainians, if they could find a way to hold off and hold off any advance in the Russians over the next two weeks, they're going to get enough weapons to actually win this thing. But these two weeks are going to be horrific. 85% of the the Russian forces have been deployed. And... About 20,000 foreign troops are in action. How pathetic that they need foreign troops to fight. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to get emotional about this issue because it's just, it's horrible, but, uh... But, you know, it's it's like kids who are bullied and it's like all these leaders are, are taking steps to hurt them and hurt their lives and hurt their families. And you look at some of these laws in these states and it is going after parents who are in loving relationships who have kids. It's completely outrageous. Sorry. I, I'm just, this is an issue that makes me completely crazy, but it is an issue that is a political wedge issue. It is not a reflection of where the country is. Everything that she cried about is wrong. The country is not for teaching K through third grade about gender fluidity. The parental rights bill is not about hating on transsexuals or homosexuals or same-sex marriage. She is totally misportrayed it, crying about it, and the country is nowhere near where she says it is. But sadly, she might even believe it. Out of all the traumatic things Ari Fleischer did when he had the same job, crying about bills uh, for the wrong reason probably didn't add up to that. He had a thing for like 9-11 to deal with and knowing that people were jumping out uh, the 60th floor of a burning building, that would bring anyone to tears. Not a made-up summary of a bill that makes total sense and is popular in most states. Ari Fleischer, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Uh, I look forward to your book, Suppression, Deception, Snobbery, and Bias, Why the Press Gets So Much Wrong and Just Doesn't Care. It's available in July. You can download it now. But, Ari, your reaction to Jen Psaki? Well, it's it's one of the reasons I wrote my book. The press deceives the American people. When they reported that that Florida law, a perfectly sensible law that tells teachers in K-3 through not to talk about sexual orientation to little children in school, and they call it Don't Say Gay? The damage is being done to liberals like Jen Psaki. Conservatives, Brian, like you and me, see through it. We know when the press labels something like that, don't say gay, that there's more to the story. The press is just making things up again. But liberals buy it, and then they cry. They cry because the press is letting them down. They actually think that that's what the law is. They probably think it applies to kids in high school. Here, I would agree with Jen Psaki. You know what? For high school kids who are struggling with who they are, I think it is one of the most sensitive issues, and it should be handled compassionately. But no, 
Hell no, not for K through three. That law was eminently sensible, and the press's distortion of the law is what hurts liberals the most because they buy the nonsense that they're being spewed to by CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times, who deceives viewers with news that's false, that's bogus, that's wrong. And so all the American people suffer from bad press coverage. But one of the things I talk about in my book is how liberals get hurt the most because they are bought into this fake ecosystem of what the press is trying to tell them the world looks like. Right. Uh, the cops are bad, uh, that America is bad, 1619 CRT. And now that uh, America is heartless or conservatives are heartless because they're trying to traumatize those who might be or might not be transsexual, gay or going through gender fluidity. I don't really believe that that any mom out there listening right now wants their third grader coming home going, I'm not sure if I'm a boy or a girl. We had a big discussion in school today. I go, really? <laughs> it's not healthy. It's not good for the children. Let children be children. How many how many issues? Teenagers and adults have, can wrestle right. with these things. It's hard, and, and, and it requires sensitivity and compassion for older people, but not for children. Uh, but the issue here, again, is the, how the press distorts the truth, how the press distorts facts. This don't say gay thing is one of the prime examples how the press adopts the language of the liberal left to make these things political fights, the truth be damned. And they do it time and time again on issue and issue. Brian, look at, look at what just happened with the so-called whipping hoax, where illegal immigrants crossed the border. They were met by uh, Border Patrol on horseback. And the press, including Jen Psaki, instantly went to these poor people are being whipped. And the president of the United States said there will be consequences. He demanded an investigation. And the press was horrified. They liked it, likened it to slavery and whipping of slaves. When anybody who rode a horse knew there was no whipping going on. But once again, the press locked in arms with liberal Democrats and the Biden administration went into hyper overdrive to deceive the American people about truth on the ground. And, and this is why the press isn't trusted anymore. This is why I wrote my book. And, and it's replete with example after example. And now these two, Don't Say Gay and The Whipping Hoax, came out after I wrote my book. Mm-hmm. But the book is full of similar things. It you know, begins with the Steele dossier and collusion and all those other attacks on Trump. And, and it's one example after another where if the news was favorable to the right, the press suppressed it. If the news was favorable to the left, the press deceive the American people into making it look like it was actual real news. Well, maybe this is for your paperback, and I don't want to make you crazy, but there's another issue out there. And it came out on Monday when a judge in Florida looked at this extension of the mass mandate on public transportation, uh, airlines and uh, trains and buses, and says, you can't extend it again. There's no science to back this up. We're ending the mass mandate. Now, Monday it happens. Listen to how the press is playing this. Here's Chuck Todd, Cut 17. Folks, it's one thing for a Trump judge to strike down an order from the Biden White House, but it's an entirely different thing for the White House to let it happen without any legal pushback. And it's not the first time recently that something hasn't gone the White House's way. They don't fight back. They don't defend their rationale. They just give you the um, the emoji shrug. Really? That's a Trump judge. It's not a judge. It's a Trump judge. Right. And it happened in horrible Florida. So it decides to take a mask mandate, which we told us Title 42, we don't need it anymore. We're out of this pandemic, out of a subvariant, which doesn't even get you, give you a cold. With hospitalizations and deaths down, does anybody want to put any facts in this? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> when did, when, how often did they say when judges struck down things in the Trump years that it was a Clinton judge or an Obama judge? No, it was Never. a judge. This is part of the hypocrisy, and there's a whole chapter in my book about how they use hypocritical language. They use the language of the left to describe events, and then they blow a whistle just on one side. If they were a referee in basketball, the possession arrow would always point at the same team. Um, It's enough to drive you crazy, but on the mask itself, is there anything the American people need to do other than to listen to the spontaneous uproar of passengers on the airplane cheering for it? I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. And I've seen studies, Brian, showing that in the 11 states in which there was no mask mandate, and there were 39, I think, that had mask mandates, there was no statistical difference of anything meaningful between those who got COVID and those who didn't get COVID, the incidence of COVID, and then the death rate of COVID. Wearing a piece of cloth over your face really ends up not making any difference at all. The disease, the illness was the illness. You either got COVID or you didn't get COVID, regardless of your mask status. Um, but I've heard people say, I'm going to still wear a mask because I'm concerned about cancer patients or I'm concerned about a four-year-old yeah. who's immunocompromised. Well, you know, that's a formula for us to wear masks for the rest of our lives forever. <laughs> we're going to have COVID with us forever. We're going to have flu. We're going to have cold. We're going to have respiratory illnesses. So that's an argument that what started in March of 2020 should be carried out permanently forever into the future. Always wear a mask. No, we shouldn't always wear masks. CDC is going to weigh in and then they'll decide if the Department of Justice will sue to put the mask back on for the next two weeks. So the president (laughs) of the United States was asked a question. He goes, I haven't really thought about it. He says, you got to make your own choice. What you're doing, you realize, Ari, they don't want to give people a choice. They're not they're they're mandating there should be no choice. You have to wear a mask, which is anti-American. And if you want to make a bigger example than red state, blue state, take Sweden and Germany. Germany was lauded for the lockdown under Merkel, lauded for the demand for masks and the stay-at-home rules. Sweden was vilified for doing the same thing. The numbers are equal, if not better, in Sweden, and they kept their careers and kept yep. their quality of life. And, and their economy and their people's mental health care. Yeah. All, all of the above comes with just being normal. You know, we're homo sapiens. We are social animals. This, too, is science. We like to see each other's faces. It is just part of the joy of going through a day. You can't just deprogram that out of us. And if there, health, if there ever is, God forbid, an emergency, horrible medical situation where they say, yes, everybody must mask, don't you want to have credibility when you do that? You're never going to have it if you go around saying now that we have all these people with basically the cold and some people get the flu as a result of COVID that we all must mask up. And the hypocrisy, too. I could be in my hotel on the way to the airport. I can be in a car on the way to the airport and not wear a mask. But as soon as I get to an airport, many of which have soaring ceilings 100 feet high, you got to mask up, let alone on the airplane that has the best filtered air that you're going to find all day long. I mean, this is the perfect example, Brian, of big government. When big government says, don't just stand there. Do something. That's the do something. Put a piece of cloth over your face, even if it doesn't matter. So, Ari, uh, where do you stand right now? We're seeing all these reports among Democrats and experts. They're expecting a bloodbath come midterms. There's a lot of there's a lot of time left in between. But Joe Biden's shown the inability to really respond to any crisis effectively in creating his own. If you look for take, for example, the border, 
If you're Republicans, do you do you advise they put out a plan? Should they take both chambers, or do you just do what Mitch McConnell's doing and say uh, we're going to let we're just going to let the other guys uh, continue to thrash and promise to do better? I very much want to see a plan, Brian. I think it's a great idea because number one, it actually serves as a useful governing document for when they take control. What are you going to do with control? And one of the things that's worried me about Republicans in the past is have we run out of ideas? Are we still lost in the 80s or the tax-cutting 80s? And who, what do we do in moving forward? Now it's 21st century. So I would very much like to see a, a specific policy initiative. And it's, it's going to have things such as we're going to close the border. Here's how. We'll finish building the wall. We're, we're going to d- develop American energy independence again. Here's how. These specifics, and I was there when Republicans took the Congress in 1994, and I was part of the contract with America working at the Ways and Means Committee in 95. That blueprint, that contract with America, was our roadmap to getting things done once we had majority. And we showed people we meant business, that it wasn't just about power and politics and elections. It was actually about policies and ideas. So, yes, I'd like to see such a document, and if Republicans will find it would be a very constructive thing to have once they have power. Ari Fleischer with us. And Ari, my last question to you is amongst the Republicans, many people writing about this, and you see it, there's a big, there's a big change with this Ukraine war. We shouldn't be involved. Uh, Vladimir Putin has a right to feel um, uh, inv- uh, surrounded by NATO and feel uh, defensive. And others like me, I think Ukraine is fighting for freedom. The imperfect democracy is fine with me. Uh, the fact that they want to be part of EU and NATO and are Western-leaning is not a reason for them to be invaded. And I believe that we should get them all the weapons possible. How do you explain the divide among people I know you respect within the Republican Party? Yeah, and there are some Democrats on that same split, too. And it's a part of America's tradition, isn't it? Now, prior to World War II, you had a huge number of Americans who did not want to get involved. Prior to World War One, it was Europe's war, not ours. We're always like this as Americans, and I think it comes from having the two oceans at our side and our, our proudful, valid American distinctions that we're not like the Europeans. Um, but having said all that, I am on your side on this one. The isolationist side, the let Europe go its own way side. You know, what worries me here is if NATO has to have any meaning. If Russia were to invade Romania or, or Moldova or some country that most Americans have never heard of or don't know where it is, I question whether we would want to fight or whether we would just say, no, we didn't mean it when we joined NATO and we formed NATO. Alliances, treaties have to have meaning, and Ukrainians are teaching us that. And we're not, we're not going to, and we should not put troops on the ground in Ukraine because they're not a NATO nation. But I welcome the fact that the free nations of East Europe that used to be under Soviet domination are choosing for themselves to be like us. They're choosing to be a part of the West. They're choosing the EU. They're choosing NATO. It's free people there who want to be with us as opposed to be with China or with Russia. And that is hugely meaningful if you believe in sovereignty, if you believe in freedom. And we know that alliances like NATO help create peace. Because Russia will think twice about taking on Sweden or taking on if they're in NATO, the Latvian countries, right. Lithuania, uh, Estonia, and, and, and um, um, uh, Lithuania, Estonia, and third Latvian country. I can't remember it. Um, the, the, the Baltic countries. This is how peace 
is enforced through peace, through strength, and through alliances that are meaning. Understood, and it's a mean world. And unless you show strength, uh, uh, you really are going to get abused. And it's uh, specifically China, specifically Iran, specifically Russia. We wish we could talk our way out of it and rationalize out of it. We keep pretending our enemies are rational. They're not. And we have to realize that. And it's an ugly world we live in. And if we want to live in peace, we're going to have to be uh, show we're willing to defend and fight. And that's just the law of the jungle. I, I just I can't pretend as if as a society we've made progress. Have you seen the Russians fight? They don't aim for military. They aim for innocent yeah. people, for hospitals, for schools, for children, for women. They don't aim for the military. Understand your enemy. And, 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 and that's what we're dealing with. And as president, you have to realize that or you can't get the job. Uh, Ari, thanks so much. I look forward to your book. Thank you, Brian. Great to be with you this morning. You got it. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 7669 You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And the second big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin. Not a joke. Putin's invasion of Ukraine has driven up gas prices and food prices all over the world. Two major breadbaskets of wheat in the world were Ukraine and Russia. The United States is number three and Canada number four. Well, what have you done to change all that? But we know inflation is high. The price of goods is going up. Price of gas is plateauing at an obscene high rate. And you have to say that Joe Biden has a lot to do with that. Of course, not everything. But when you go out and don't take any responsibility and want to sell us on Vladimir Putin being the blame, when we are clear thinking people from working class to the elite class, we know it's not all Vladimir Putin. We know this war hasn't helped. But it's mostly hurting Vladimir Putin. And we also have an opportunity when the number one grain supplier is being heavily sanctioned and the number two is being invaded. Why not have Canada and America produce more? We knew this was coming when you had 150,000 troops. Here's Joe. Listen on WRCN. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Listen, I can't take it. We have to stop this charade as a country. We have a right to know who the president is. Who's running America? Laura Ingram summed it up last night. She said Biden's, it was the best I ever heard, Biden's decomposing right in front of our, our eyes. I couldn't believe she said that. It's true. This guy's a shell of a man. There's no marbles in the marble bag, the old saying. Number one, he's a war criminal, what he did in Afghanistan. And number two, he killed... Uh, he killed, the, well, the civilians over there with the drone. That's what bothered me. But- Joe, you're angry. I hear it. But not only is Joe Biden going to finish out four, he wants four more. And the Washington Post says he's the number one seed on the Democratic side. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Got a big hour coming your way. Uh, Matt Continenti will be with us. He, uh, You know him. He's got a brand-new book out. You probably saw him on the weekend shows, and you know the Washington Free Beacon. He has since moved on, but he's got a, uh, a great – I've got to get his take on what's happening now for Republicans. They are getting very – uh, confident that they're going to have a huge, big midterm. But how are we going to get there? And what's going to be the shape of the country when we do arrive? And Professor Wilford Riley, one of my all-time great guests, and uh, he's a deep thinker looking at Black Lives Matter, the situation I was stunned with, and that was that African-American uh, have been, uh, let me try to phrase this correctly. African-Americans have been, uh, since 2020, the rise of them becoming victims of crime has risen 42%. You put it almost hand-in-hand hand with the rise of Black Lives Matter and the Defund the Police movement. They have paid the biggest price. So unfair. Uh, has to be addressed. We'll talk about it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Just because this ruling was made by a judge doesn't mean that suddenly the science has changed. Masks remain very protective. And this was basically Donald Trump as a federal judge today. And the vast majority of scientific evidence is masks have saved millions of lives. Really? Millions of lives. Who was in charge? Hours after saying it's up to Americans decide if they want to wear masks, President Biden sues to reinstate masks on public transportation. He says, I'll do it. The CDC wants me to. Really? Number two. I'm going to get emotional about this issue because I just, it's horrible. But uh, it's like kids who are bullied. And you look at some of these laws in these states and it is going after parents who are in loving relationships who have kids. It's completely outrageous. Crying? Really, Jen Psaki, weeping because you can teach in Florida kids through K through third about sexual preferences and you cry? No joke, as Governor DeSantis continues to enrage the left by siding with parents and logic while also taking on woke Disney and Orlando, he's making a move now to take away their sovereignty status. Number one. Today we are announcing the American Governor's Border Strike Force. This is a majority of America's governors stepping up to do what the Biden administration refuses to do. We can't get Joe Biden to the border. Borders are. Kamala Harris will not come to the border. Uh, unbelievable. Governor Ducey speaking out. Immense pressure as President Biden rethinking of eliminating Title 42. As the border is about to break, 26 governors form a union to try and block this White House's dereliction of duty. Do you believe this? That's how bad it's getting, how divided we are. 26 Republican governors have to band together to use their own resources and intelligence to stop the border surge. Because it hits everybody, not just Texas, New Mexico, uh, and Arizona, and California. Let's bring in Matt Cottonetti, senior fellow of the American Enterprise Institute, founding editor of Washington Free Beacon, author of the new book, The Right. The Hundred Year War for American Conservatism. You talk about the art of the self inflicted wound. I think we're seeing it, Matt, when it comes to this president. Oh, for sure, Brian. Thank you for having me. I mean, the past year, the past 15 months has just been one self inflicted wound after another, beginning really with the uh, stimulus bill in the spring, which Biden uh, fought for despite warnings from economists like Larry Summers that it would lead to inflation. And guess what? The inflation happened. And running through Afghanistan and the withdrawal there and just the disaster that led to the deaths of our servicemen. 
and just coursing on through to policy after policy, the border, reversing all of the Trump uh, policies that had secured the border. And now we see just the collapse of border security. One thing after another, the confusion on the masks. I mean, it's endless. And I think it's the recipe for a great Republican year in November. I mean, it should be. It's not so much Republicans have earned it, not that they've dropped the ball. They've tried to highlight what the president's doing. But through his executive orders, President Biden lined himself up for failure. And one thing was, why would you break the border? Why would you say, I'm not building the wall? I'm not going to fully resource the Border Patrol. Why would you say get rid of or remain in Mexico when you know all you have to do is sit down and say, okay, what did this accomplish? Let's be smart about this. And let's also think what's queued up, Matt, the Iran deal brokered by Russia. On what planet is this a good move? You have Democrats already holding press conferences saying they need the opportunity to see it and vote on it because they're going to try to get this through. Well, Brian, you hit it on the head there when you mentioned the Democrats who are already saying that they are not ready for another Iran deal. Uh, And there's divisions on the Democratic side when it comes to the border as well. Many Democrats saying, hold it, don't reverse Title 42. Don't let the floodgates open. Uh, There are Democrats who are divided over crime, the rising murder rate in the United States, saying maybe the administration policies are just uh, totally out to lunch when it comes to fighting crime. And the Democrats are divided on the issue of inflation. And I think the, the border is extremely important. It's where the erosion in Biden's approval started. But I think the inflation is what's really going to dog Biden and the Democrats in November. You have, look, wages are rising, but not enough to cover the increase in the cost of living. That means Americans are falling behind. And when that happens, um, they're going to look for an alternative uh, in power uh, to, to, to get their cost of living under control. Right. Absolutely. Talking to Matthew Connenny, let's put uh, conservatism in perspective, goes back in history. And I'll get to that in a second. But I want you to hear Harry Enten talk on CNN about what he's seeing in the polls. You know, there was always that thing. Oh, Donald Trump has the lowest approval rating at this point in his presidency. We did it over and over and over and over again. Well, at this point in his presidency, Donald Trump's number is actually his average approval rating is one point higher than Joe Biden's, which is at 41 percent. Donald Trump at 42 percent. A first-term president at this point in his presidency, uh, this is the lowest. This is the lowest for anyone who was elected to the presidency and didn't get up there through the vice presidency. This is a really, really, really bad number. <laughs> I mean, that, that's not a Republican pundit. That's on CNN, who probably doesn't would have paid him not to say that uh, right. for the most part. You know, the thing is, Brian, tr- President Trump always had a cushion. He always had a floor. Uh, because of his devoted supporters that were never going to abandon him. Biden doesn't have that question. Biden doesn't have that floor. The Democrats are split, as I was saying, five ways to Sunday. And so uh, when we ask how low can Biden go, I think he can go even lower. Uh, And this this is a big problem for Democrats. And it's setting Republicans up. Republicans have to think, well, once they're handed power, what are they going to do? And I know that they're working on legislation and, um, and task forces on the House side, but they need, to get the, they need to get that going faster because pretty soon I think they're going to be handed more power than they were expecting. So, uh, yeah, one thing I would say, I'm, I'm all for finding out about Hunter Biden. I do want to uh, find out what happened with the origins of the pandemic. I, I absolutely 
Uh, I have no problem with investigations, but let's learn a little bit uh, from what the American public saying. They want to see people get to work on things that are going to help them. And I do want to see them stop with President Biden's doing, which they proceed to be hurting the country. I get it. But also put some things together that that are going to work and let's put these programs out there and say, you get me a Republican president. This gets through. But you need to be working in a positive way. I would like to see the Republicans be the first party in about 20 years not to put it in the other party's face when they get the majority. If, in fact, things keep going in that direction. You follow me? Why why, don't alienate unnecessarily because it creates a ripple effect across the country. Which which I will show you when we get it back. And I'm just wondering if, if this is going to be the cycle where we tone it down a little. Well, we need to have alternative policies. I think that's the key. So I think that the Republicans need to think seriously about education, first and foremost, and parental rights and education and curriculum transparency so parents know what their stu- their children are being taught in the schools. I think that the Republicans need to start thinking about crime. You know, Biden's uh, approach toward crime is cracking down on illegal gun owners. We need we need a different approach to crime. We need to have more cops on the streets and definitely fund as many as we can. And the Republicans also need to think about inflation. And I think the easiest way uh, it's not easy, but it's the simplest way for the Republicans to tackle the inflation is to bring the spending under control. And so that, I think, needs to be the top three priorities of the Republican um, Congresses. And, Matt, you say that in a day in which President Biden is about to get rid of student debt for the 20-somethings, making the 35-somethings and the 40-somethings and the 50s and 60s listen to us now and say, are we the suckers that paid off our loan? We just had to wait long enough? So you talk about the opposite message to send the American people about getting your fiscal house in order? Just forgive student debt for no reason. And it shows you how desperate Biden and the Democrats are, Brian, because, you know, there was a recent poll out that showed Biden's approval among young people plummeting. And so in the White House, they think that canceling the student debt is the right way to get that vote back. I don't think it's the right way at all. Most most people have paid paid their loans. They're responsible. Um, Canceling the debt for uh, people who took on too much money or who have not been able to to to. Uh, repay it uh, appropriately uh, is not the way to win uh, back the the youth vote, and it's, uh, but it's it's a sign of a cynicism in the White House and a desperation. Right, Matt. So tell me the history of conservatism as you remember. Like, would you look back in time in your book? When did this whole thing really start kicking off? Sure. Well, I begin my book uh, in 1920. Brian, and because I wanted to provide readers with the story of the American right that is kind of the prehistory of the American right, the American right before uh, the more contemporary and conventional narratives begin after the Second World War. So I begin with Presidents Warren Harding and Calvin Coolidge, and I take the story all the way through President Joe Biden. What did the Cold War do to the conservative movement? It unified it, Brian. Simplest. Simplest uh, explanation. It unified all the different groups of conservatives and Republicans uh, facing that external threat of the Soviet Union and global communism. And perhaps most importantly, it unified the conservatives and the right with the American people who also understood the nature of the threat. And that provided a great um, popular base of support for the conservative movement uh, during the Cold War. It's interesting. Uh, where, do the, where, does it, where does the whole Christian right figure into it? 
you know, I mean, there's always been uh, religious uh, uh, people involved in politics, but it wasn't really until the 1970s, Brian, that the religious right as we know it today came into formation. And in many ways, uh, they were responding to similar issues uh, that we have today. Um, they, were, they were Christian uh parents who were concerned about what their children were being taught in schools. They were outraged at some judicial decisions that were being made without democratic consent or accountability, bureaucratic decisions. And while many of the early Christian right found themselves on the Democratic Party, it was during the Carter administration that they left the Democratic Party and joined the Reagan coalition and powered Ronald Reagan to his victory in 1980. So this whole uh, divide among Republicans now between we don't belong and don't worry about the Ukraine. It's 6,000 miles from our border. Uh, Let Russia do their own thing. The kind of isolationism, where does that figure in to the Republicans? Which because we're seeing a divide right now. We are. And, you know, one of the lessons I drew from writing my book is that when you take in the history of the American right for the last century, you see that that position that you gave voice to, the the uh, position among Republicans and uh, the conservatives that, well, we don't want to get involved overseas, NATO expanded too far, um, let the Ukrainians defend themselves or let Europe take on more of the lead – that is very reminiscent of where the right was at the beginning of my story in the 1920s and the 1930s. So there's always been this feeling among parts of the right, and it was masked, I think, during the Cold War when all of the right was united against communism for various reasons. Now that we don't have communism anymore, those uh, splits have reemerged, even while we still face an aggressive Russia. You know, what's interesting is, you know, in school, they tell you uh, the, the, the saving grace was the New Deal, right? That's how we got out of the Depression. And then it really gave birth in many ways to the conservative movement where they looked and said, this is way too much spending. This is socialist tendency. Yeah, it was an emergency, but we, we have come out of it anyway. How did that figure in to this heroic figure, FDR, who keeps winning election after election and was really with his make work projects and his and his uh, and his and his leadership during war? was lauded back then. How how did Republicans survive? Barely is the short answer. But the Republicans were thrust out of power during the 1930s uh, and much of the 1940s. But that's when the right really defined itself against the New Deal, against big government, against FDR's domestic and foreign policy of that time. And it's also when the right really began looking at the Constitution as as its ground and anchoring itself in the Constitution. And it wasn't just the spending and the various programs. There was a larger argument about too much power being centralized in Washington, FDR going beyond the bounds of the written Constitution, and also FDR acting more like a king than a president and a chief executive. And so that's where the right really kind of defined its positions on so many issues about the size and scope of government that continue to this day. Right. Of course, uh, he did something Washington didn't, uh, and that's kept running for president. Uh, Did something that uh, Teddy Roosevelt walked away from. He said, I've been president long enough. He regretted leaving. But FDR says, I'm staying. So uh, that also uh, irked Republicans. But listen, Matt's put together a great book for those people new on the political scene who would now find themselves politically active. If you want to ground yourself and understand the history behind the conservative movement, pick up this book. It's called The Right, The Hundred Year War for American Conservatism. Matt, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Brian. All right. When we come back, your call is 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think those in my party whom are suggesting that inflation uh, is not an issue. I mean, they need to stop reading Harvard papers and start listening to those in Hartford and Harrisburg who are actually experiencing the day-to-day life of what it means to pay higher prices. Uh, I think the president, I've said for a long time, should acknowledge it. Uh, I don't think he needs to take all of the responsibility for it, but he has to take uh, responsibility for what we're going to do going forward. I think you have to reposition money from what we spent on COVID to help small businesses. That's Harold Ford, a clear-thinking Democrat who wants his party to somehow survive and keep the majority, at least in the Senate. Uh, It looks kind of grim for the House, obviously, almost from the day the last election ended. Uh, Eric, listen, WDBO. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian, great topic as usual. I just wanted to chime in about the polls. I think from now on, presidential polls should have an asterisk when involving Donald Trump, because according to Brent Brozell in the media, the research of Institute, he had the most negative, 98 percent negative press for his entire four years. And if I might disagree with you, if we do take back the House, I think we should be aggressive. The first thing they should do is subpoena Liz Cheney's phone records. Your take on all this? Uh, Liz Cheney's no problem. Uh, Liz Cheney's too aggressive. I get, I get it. She's upset about January 6th. I know her. She's still a conservative. Uh, uh, she's not the problem. I, I say go ahead, do your investigations, but also have a positive agenda. Tell me economically what's going to happen. Stop the Iranian deal in its tracks. Support uh, the Ukrainians in their fight and come together with a plan to attack inflation. Don't worry about Joe Biden. Let's see what you got. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The scales right now are tipped very heavily in favor of the reforms of the progressive left. Well intended, some needed, but uh, tipped too far. And what we have uh, as a result is this growing fear of crime, this growing actual amount of crime, as evidenced in almost every major American city. And, and most of the victims of crime since the 2020 rise of uh, Black Lives Matter, when it really took root uh, or took off, have been blacks. So as we defund the police and defame the police, they're the ones paying the biggest price. That that fact did not elude Professor Wilford Riley, an associate professor of political science at Kentucky State University, author of uh, books Taboo, Ten Facts You Can't Talk About, and Hate Crime Hoax. He's also got a great podcast. Professor Riley, welcome back. Oh, always good to be on the show. So do you agree with Bratton? Yeah, I mean, so we're now kind of seeing the cost of the quote-unquote racial reckoning. And although I, I lean right, I'm not really political about this. This is this is a national tragedy. But, I mean, last year – so in 2014, there were about 6,000 black homicides per year. After the Ferguson riots and the quote-unquote Ferguson effect, that jumped to close to 8,000, a little under 8,000. And last year, we had 9,900 recorded black murders, black fatal homicides. So we've seen the black homicide rate during the Black Lives Matter era jump about 63 percent. 
And if you talk to Leo's law enforcement officers like uh, the former Chief Bratton, they'll they'll say that's really directly traceable to police pullback. You can look at the number of stops that the police make uh, in a typical year, and that tracks really, really closely with the crime rate. So to some extent, the protesters got what they wanted, right? The request was that the police pull back, respect black neighborhoods, respect black spaces, you know, go go lighter as read the enforcement of certain laws. And we saw the obvious as a result. When the cops stop policing, you have more crime. And that and that's where we're at right now. Uh, when you look at the Black Lives Matter and the, and the whole push there, I was shocked to hear the new mayor of New York say this after a particular night of uh, death and destruction in Brooklyn and in the Bronx. I think here is a here's Eric Adams talking about BLM. I thought Black Lives Matter. Where are all those who stated Black Lives Matter. When are we going to start asking these serious questions? If Black Lives Matters, then the thousands of people I saw on the street when Floyd was murdered should be on the street right now stating that the lives of these black children that are dying every night matters. We can't be hypocrites. Wow. I mean, that gives you hope this mayor, uh, as a black mayor who was very critical of the police when he was on the police force, to say that, um, where do you think that comes from? Well, he, he said some wacky and mildly racist stuff, and he's griped about being a vegetarian. And so I kind of like Eric Adams. I mean, he's, he's a good cop in his day. Um, I think Adams is saying the absolutely obvious. Um, I, I think that a more conservative mayor who said it with a you know bit less BSing time first might make even more of an impact on crime in that city. But the the whole Black Lives Matter movement, racial reckoning movement, to some large extent was based on lives, and we need to understand that. The original focus was this Ben Crump idea of open season, legalized genocide of colored people. Mr. Crump, if I have that correct, was literally Trayvon Martin's lawyer. It's the argument that the cops are murdering, what they say, hundreds, thousands of unarmed black men every year. It turns out that when myself, Heather McDonald, your news network, other people started digging into this, the total number of unarmed black men, unprovokedly, that are shot by the police in a typical year is about 10. Probably probably a bit fewer, actually, if you add in un- unprovokedly, totally unarmed. And in response, we saw this national movement where these very non-typical, these very unique and unfortunate cases, the George Floyd case, where there was horrible policing, but the guy may also have had an overdose, these were taken and shoved into the national spotlight and presented as normal. And the police pulled back by 20, 30 percent in a bunch of cities. And the result absolutely was what we just described. So when Adam says in a day there are 30 or 40 people shot and two-thirds or three-fourths of them are black, we're seeing that in most major cities, all adjusted for population size. But we're seeing that in Chicago and Louisville and Cincinnati and the cities near me. So if you truly think that black lives matter, yeah, the, the same people, the same strong young men that were out in the streets protesting logically should be out in the streets defending their neighborhoods against gang members and criminals and strong-arm robbers. But I, I frankly think we'll be, we'll be waiting a good long time before we see that, and that's why you need police doing it. Mm. So the thing is, uh, there's so many people, uh, I would put myself in that category, they want to help out. You know, there, there's situations in the inner city where kids are born with, you know, in a, maybe a single-parent household where, they're, uh, where they're, uh, they have on welfare, where they're attached to social programs, maybe don't have that role model to understand how to make it in this very – you know, competitive world, maybe and have school systems. They got plenty of money, but they fail them because they don't pay the teachers enough, whatever the situation is. I'd love to start helping. 
But when you when you see Black Lives Matter get this type of money, and then you find out that they're buying mansions rather than helping rebuild cities or, or putting boys and girls clubs and uh, mentorship programs in Chicago and in Charlotte and in San Francisco and Los Angeles, it drives you crazy. It, it forces people just to stay away, Professor. Yeah, uh, so I, I think the first line there is actually very important. Most people want to help out. There there can be miscommunication between whites and blacks, and for that sure. matter, between men and women, northerners and southerners, Mexican, Hispanic immigrants and native-born Americans, so on down the line. But most people actually in this country, which is a good country, aren't bigoted haters. The huge majority of people, and this is a major mistake Black Lives Matter made, is making police violence even all about black people. And presenting the average white person as sort of this distant, prejudiced person who doesn't care. The average Italian-American ex-athlete in New York City or Long Island would really, really like to help. But the, the uh, basically the point is, yeah, the initial hostility of the movement here and also these the sort of perceptions of corruption. I mean, I wrote an article about this for Spiked Online. I talk about it in my book, Taboo. But Black Lives Matter received something like $11 million from mostly well-intentioned donors. This is all the Black Lives Matter organizations. Uh, Black Lives Matter Global Foundation, BLMNGF, alone got $90 million within one year. And if you actually track where that money was spent, I mean, it's easy to go through the houses and so on. But almost $30 million was given to groups that don't really have a lot to do with the inner city. Um for the Gorals, for example, the transgender travel group was one of the groups that uh, Patrice Calors favored with a, a six-figure gift. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of people, ideally there would be a movement we could all join together, yeah. a, a la the old civil rights movement, to genuinely help the poor. I don't think BLM ever was that. Professor Wilford Riley with Associate Professor of Political Science, Kentucky State University. I want you to hear, so now people like the IRS are saying, wait a second, you have all this money, you don't really fire tax returns, and you're buying mansions. So now people are asking her for some paperwork. She doesn't run Black Lives Matter anymore. I don't think anybody actually does. Here's what she said. I actually did not know what 990s were before all of this happened. The accountant handled that. Like, I, I don't know what that is. Um, it, it is such a trip now to hear the word, the, 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 the term 990s. I'm like, Ugh, it's like triggering. It's triggering? Really? Everyone, the whole country's been triggered in April. I don't know. It's it's tax month. Yeah. So I, I think one of the things that's almost funny when you debate the modern hard left is that they only have one argument. Like they've they've learned the same dance steps really, really well. So if you, if you listen to that full Calores clip, she says that she's triggered by the difficulties of working in the tax system. At another point, she says it's racist. This must be designed to take a lot of money from, I guess, black small businessmen, white small businessmen, of course, don't pay taxes. We all know that. Um, you know, there's another point where she says, and I'm kidding, but there's another point where she says, I feel unsafe looking at these sort of complex forms. This is all just BS. I mean, as you pointed out, I think on the five, almost any accountant in the country would have been glad to work for free with Black Lives Matter to make sure that everything was paid up properly, there was no continuation of the racial crisis, so on. They just didn't do that. And if you actually – don't just want to throw darts here, but if you actually look at the operation of BLM NGF as a charity, there have been massive problems. I mean, Calores resigned, as I recall, in late 2020. If not, it was 2021. 
and planned to turn the brand, the 501c3, over to kind of her second and third ranking people. But they, they basically said no. They never assumed those roles. So for a long time, there was no one in the group in the yeah. fiduciary spot. It's just – it's remarkable stuff, and there really – there is a soft bigotry of low expectations where you and I, I assume, are both charitable givers, want to help poor black Americans, poor white Americans, whatever, but where it is hard to take this seriously, and it's really unfortunate this is what ended up happening with this movement, but that gets back to the movement itself being founded around this false issue. It wasn't founded on the idea of helping the poor across the color line. It was founded on the idea that there's a race war targeting black people yep. led by the police. And that was that was never really true. That that was the problem all along. That was <laughs> that was brilliant because you talk to the police and go, really? I, I, it's my fault because of George Floyd, my Long Island cop friends. It's their fault. The ones that are working for 40. You come out of the academy. Do you know how much you make? Forty thirty eight thousand dollars a year, and do you ever they they want to start passing a rule? You got to live in New York City, so that's you become a policeman not for the money, not for the glory, and now you find out you're the problem. A lot of people are just in our country. We're just walking away from this and saying I'm not doing law enforcement anymore, and that's kind of where we're at. Where we're at, you know. I'm in Detroit, and I went to the Henry Ford uh, um, American Museum of Innovation, okay. and in there is the Rosa Park bus. In there are these great speeches by Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and they're rowing. And in there is a, uh, a an actual water fountain that says whites only, blacks only. And there's a actual bathroom that says colors only, whites only. I mean, people see that, like me, and listening right now, white people or non-African-Americans, and are horrified. And we want to mm-hmm. fix these things. And I, we go through it. We study it. I went through a mostly white working class community, grew up. We never ducked this. We had semesters just on civil rights and what LBJ did and what has to still be done. Never ducked it. So, of course, we could always improve on it. Having said that, we look at that and we can't pretend that was yesterday. We can march the progress, want to get better. And my question to you in the big picture is how do we grow and say, look how far we've come, look how bad it was. And do it in a positive way. Is it possible? Yeah, of course it's possible. I mean, I I think that what you're saying, and again, I I grew up in a working class integrated community. I was born on the south side of Chicago where you had African-Americans, Mexican-Americans, Italians, Irishmen. I moved to the east side of Aurora, many Eastern European immigrants as well, hardworking people. And I think that most Americans have a perspective pretty similar to mine or yours. I mean, most people at this point, 2022, think racism was bad percent of people that wouldn't consider it interracial marriage, like 4%. I think most people also go a step further and recognize the legacy of the past. There are more poor people on, say, an Indian reservation because of past abuse, even if rights are equal now, and we want to fix that. The problem is that what you could call critical race theory, and my, my buddy Chris Rufo has done obviously a lot of good work on this, and I, I think the term is useful, but that doesn't provide a solution. That's not the civil rights movement. It's kind of the exact reverse face of everyone working together. So the whole CRT argument basically is that every gap in society now, this is Ibram Kendi word for word, is due to some new, hidden, subtle form of racism. 
So it's not enough just to work to help the poor. If a white guy works to help the poor, they're probably doing that for some crooked, manipulative reason. (laughs) What you need to do is bring in these paid minority experts and consultants to lead. And that down that path, I don't I don't think there lies anything. Racism is what it always was, disliking people genetically or ethnically. How can you stop it? You you punish it in society. What do you do if people don't have a lot of money? You help them out, or more importantly, you teach them a skill. And I think as people come forward offering that, other group FAIR, Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, does a good job, 17, I think as these normal groups of middle-class citizens offer an actual alternative where they say, look, we've got blacks and whites here, Hispanics with jobs, we're working together, I think most people are going to latch on to that as opposed right. to sort of this endless wail. Right. Uh, like what we got from Disney, um, you know, and a lot of people just writing checks and uh, like what happened in uh, Atlanta, excuse me, in Georgia during the election. OK, we're a racist country and we're trying to black out, stop black people from voting in Georgia. So let's move the all star game. You know, so uh, we, we're seeing a lot of this, especially at the corporate level now. So and a lot of people just throw up their hands and say, OK, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to hang out with people that understand that uh, I'm not a racist and I'm going to just uh, stay out of the fray. But with this political environment, 24-hour news, it's impossible. Uh, final thought, Professor? Yeah, I, I think that the what you just said is unfortunate, and it's a sign of kind of it, – it's a, corporate laziness is the main thing you're talking about, where, yeah, we do have some problems in this country that require us to work hard and clean up the residue of the past. Not many, still some people want to do that. But it's very easy just to look at the loudest voices, assume they represent minority communities or whatever, and write them a big check, but they don't. Almost no one on the ground in a black community, or for that matter, a poor white one in Long Island, wants the cops gone. Nobody. So you need to actually talk to people from those areas. We need to actually work together. It's harder, but like most hard work, that's how you get results. I hear you. Uh, Always educational to talk to you. Professor Wilford Riley, Uh, pick up his book, Taboo, 10 Facts You Can't Talk About, and Hate Crime Hoax. Uh, Thanks, Professor. Thanks a lot, Brian. You got it. He's got a new article called The New Definition of Racism. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Back to wrap up this hour in just a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. I'm just checking my watch, and I'm thinking to myself, it's time to know more. More to know. All right, here we go. Warner Brothers Discovery has suspended external marketing for CNN Plus. Wow. And laid off CNN's longtime CFO as it weighs what to do next. Around $300 million has been spent. That's like us getting rid of Fox Nation one month in. I think we rolled it out three, four years ago. I've done about 41 What Made America Great. I mean, it's really getting traction. We're writing checks to Kevin Costner to do movies. CNN, I guess, had no plan and fired the people that did. Unbelievable. I think Chris Wallace is over there. Next. Netflix stock plunged more than 20%. The subscriber tally fell off uh, to 221.64 million globally, down about 200,000. They also fell short of the revenue predictions. Uh, so not good. Streaming is uh, winning over linear, as predicted, and Netflix titles are popular globally. However, a relatively high household penetration when including the large number of households sharing accounts combined with competition. Yeah, they're going to crack down on that. And next, 
ethics groups calling for the DOJ to investigate into Jen Psaki after she used her position as Biden's press secretary to disparage Fox News while reportedly negotiating a deal with MSNBC. No kidding. And next, Roseanne Barr slams ABC's decision to fire her following the controversial tweet. Which burning is what it is? She says she kicked off, kicked out of Hollywood. She explores the controversy uh, and her fall from grace. She's now 69. I guess she did a big piece on this. Remember in 2018, she made one comment about Valerie Jarrett uh, was looked at as racist. Uh, Bob Iger agreed with the decision to get rid of her. You can't debate what is morally wrong, Iger said. She feels like she was wrong and she wants back. Hey, everybody else gets canceled and uncanceled. Charlie Rose just uncanceled himself. Why not uncancel Roseanne Barr? I'm Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget One Nation Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Repeat it again at 11. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.